In last week's episode of The Chiefs, native Finn and head of Swiss security policy, Ambassador Pelvi Pulli, gave her view on the challenges of modern warfare and the future of Switzerland's defence policy. In today's edition, there is more Baltic expertise in store, as I'm joined from Helsinki by General Esa Pulkinen. After a four-year hiatus to serve as the Director General of the EU military staff, General Pukinen returned to his homeland to assume his prior role as Director General of the Finnish Defence Policy Department in 2020. In our conversation, General Pukinen explains why a certain mutual respect with Russia has ensured peace across Finland's vast archipelago since the end of World War II. Plus, from encouraging social cohesion to instilling the right kind of patriotism, we dig deep on the benefits of conscription and also why frontline saunas are a must, even in the Horn of Africa. From Monocle Zurich HQ, I'm Tyler Brule, and this is The Chiefs on Monocle 24. Lieutenant General, I wanted to maybe kick things off with not a small question. It's probably a question we could spend the next 25 or 30 minutes on if if we wanted to. And that is your assessment of the neighborhood. If, If I look at headlines just over the past few weeks, we see on one side, if you glance north, we have, of course, Russian submarines, uh, which have been mounting a drill uh, in, in the Arctic. If we glance maybe down to the other side of the world, recent events in the Suez Canal, we look at sort of, of course, the volatility of a bottleneck there, what that means, not just for international shipping, but what that means strategically. If you have to take a view right now and you look a- across your border, what, what, are, what are the three critical areas that are, are really essential when you look at Finland's military policy at the moment? Of course, if I, I look from the Finnish perspective, you already made a good point, our neighborhood. We were somewhere in between of two strategically important regions in in the high north, notably the Arctic Sea you mentioned already, and of course the Baltic Sea in a bigger sense. And of course, the big factor in our neighborhood is, is Russia. We are very used to live there. We still have some memories on the past, but it was not relationship not very glorious but here we are and i would say that from a military point of view situation has changed i was five five years away from finland returned back last summer from helsinki and i could really sense the tensions are higher and uncertainly it put some challenges on finland militarily but like i said the key question for us or key issue for us that we never abolished our traditional defense capability after the cold war we are very conservative, we maintain all military capabilities, conscription, uh, territorial defense, and that is of great value of, of, of today. So that uh, really it's a cornerstone where we actually can build on our relationship with the others. I'm curious how frequently you have visitors, and I'm thinking about military visitors, I'm thinking about friendly visitors coming to Finland to look at this extraordinary border that you share with Russia. You talked about your territorial defenses. Of course, Finland is also known for its its border patrols, its its border guards, how, of course, they're working in lockstep with the traditional parts of, of the military as well. When you're hosting other countries, you're bringing in other generals, other majors, other captains to to look at the Finnish model, what, what are they most interested Interested in, in terms of, as you said, you never stood down your troops. Uh, you've, you've always had this conservative approach, of course, to defense. Uh, so what are the, the lessons learned that other people are maybe seeking from the Finns? Of course, we have, a, we have our history, and our history is quite different of the other neighboring countries here in, in the north. It goes back to the Second World War. We had a bloody war against Soviet Union. 
But we, we managed to preserve our independence. We, we lost a terrible amount of the, of, of the people and also territory, but we managed to preserve our, our independence. And in a way, that has been a kind of the cornerstone when we have built again our relationship with our, our eastern neighbor. There is a respectance in, in Moscow vis-a-vis Finns. That's something that we also would like to show when the visitors come to Finland. If you go to Lapland region, I know very well in the high north. It's one of the most peaceful corners of the, of the Europe or <laughs> the world at the moment. And certainly, although we have a long border with Russians, more than 1,300 kilometers land border, but it's completely calm. And the relationship with the Russian counterparts is pretty good. And we saw that, you know, tensions are not, not high on our borders. We have managed to build a relationship with the Russia that's based on the, let me say, mutual understanding and to an extent respectance as, as well. But we are, we are prepared. We are prepared to defend our country if needed. And that's something we saw to our, our visitors. So we saw the calm borders to them. And also we saw that we are military um, capable to, to, to defend the country if needed. These are the two two different sides of the coins, the coin we would like to show our, to, to our friendly visitors here in Finland. Let me speak for probably most of our listeners uh, who are are sitting back and and absorbing this conversation. They think about Russia to your east. They think about, for whatever reason, if if they wanted to stir up trouble. It's not very difficult, I would imagine, given the firepower that Russia has to, of course, roll across the border, to, of course, make trouble in the Baltic uh, with you. What does that mean, though, in real terms, uh, when you think of, of defense policy? Does this mean that you start to fight more of a, a guerrilla street tactic? I think people just be fascinated to know, what is the policy? Does it go back to really sort of nasty tactics in the forests of Finland? How do you defend this enormous archipelago that you have? And maybe what are the things that are, are perhaps unique also about Finland when it comes to not just training, but also the types of material that you have? versus what Russia has or, or maybe uh, and any other people who might dare mess with Finland? Like I said, we never abolished our defense, national defense capabilities after the Second World War. We are very, very conservative in that regard. Let me say that our doctrine or defense is based on two different type of, uh, let me say, issues. One is the, one of course, the capabilities and, of course, that regard also the high-tech capabilities we have. For, for example, we are today... Uh, talking about the next investment we are going to make by the end of this year, so that we will replace our F-18 uh, fighter aircrafts, and the government has approved to provide us 10 billion euros for that replacement. So that shows that you know we are ready to invest also to high-end capabilities. To complement the high-end capabilities, because our territory is relatively huge, over 330,000 square kilometers, we need to have a quite a lot of, of the traditional army troops. And they are the ones actually we can, we can mobilize. They are mainly composed of reservists that we train frequently. And we can mobilize very close to 300,000 soldiers to defend our country if needed. So that, that is one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the, the will. Traditionally, the, the will to defend the country here in, in the high north is, is really, really high. So that, uh, that's also, let me say, a soft dimension, but in the way it's a hard dimension. So that any potential aggressor knows that, you know, we are really prepared to defend 
our country and the universal will of Finnish citizens to defend the country if needed. So that these two sides are a part of our, our defense concept. So that we have the capabilities that can, that can operate in the archipelagos, of course. We have the capabilities and troops that can operate in high north. Of course, these uh, forest tactics you mentioned, uh, it's a quite a romantic view, if I, if I may say, to go back to the uh, Second World War and, and Winter War. But we know our environment, we know the uh, forests, we know the archipelago, we know the urban areas. We are prepared to operate there. And we have enough, let me say, high-end capabilities that really, of course, provide deterrence or contribute to a deterrence of Finland, but also that really can have an impact if needed, if we need to go or have to go to war. Lieutenant General, anyone who spends maybe a little bit of time looking at defense journals, reading trade titles, the websites, of course, which are you know, perhaps the sort of the day-to-day intelligence platforms for many people who are in the business of procuring equipment, will see that you know, Finland has a number of companies, particularly in, in the space of wired battlefields, uh, thinking about the battlefield of the future and all of the connectivity that goes with it. There are a number of companies which are, are really world-class in this space. When you think about Finland's role moving forward, of course, everyone knows about the cyber threat. From your perspective, and also a country which is, again, globally known for being a leader in so many things digital, is is there a magic equation right now that you have to say when I think about future conflict that is it is it sixty or seventy percent has to come down to having the replacements for the F-18s? It's about having uh, new ships to defend the archipelago. It's about having the right mortars, and is it thirty percent about the right connectivity, or does it even go to another place where it's actually seventy percent of it is about what you're doing digitally, and maybe you don't need as many fighters or as many boots on the ground? But is this a, is this a, a tension point uh, right now that you've figured out, or you have to continue to figure it out? I would say that we are painfully, of course, aware of the of the situation, and of course, we put quite a lot of emphasis on on cyber domain or hybrid domain. We have a very well known magic triangle, if I may say, that supports also the the defense forces and and, and material equipment. A triangle is composed of the three elements: it's composed of the users, it's composed of the academia, and then third parties is industry. So that we are very agile. We can very easily compared to, to some big global players in the world, to develop certain capabilities that are really of top quality and can actually have an operational effect uh, if, if needed. And that goes to back the very nature of, of Finland being the high-tech Nokia country in, in, in the past. So that works. Of course, our industry is, is relatively small. But anyway, it has certain niche capabilities, which we certainly make use. And of course, they have increased also our, our knowledge on cyber and, and hybrid, hybrid threats. There's been some discussion, and I want to go back to maybe material procurement. Along with your fighter aircraft, the country is also looking at a, a new generation of, of larger surface vessels for Finland's Navy, and maybe some question marks that have been raised that this is a country which is known for its archipelago. It's known for its its agility. You have a, a number of very, I would almost say, quite sexy looking, fast attack craft that can you know dodge uh, in and out of uh, large rocks and boulders uh, that, that happen to be in the archipelago. And now there's this move to, of course, have something which starts to resemble a little bit more of a blue water fleet. Does that also speak to Finland's ambitions to take to play a bigger role on the international stage. Of course, you are a nation of peacekeepers. 
you have deployments and have had deployments around the world. Uh, but then also this move to, to bigger naval uh, vessels also means that you want to be able to play a role that goes potentially beyond the Baltic. Of course, in the past, I, if you go back some little bit more than 10 years, actually the Finnish, one of the Finnish frigates actually was deployed for the EU mission or EU operation outside of the Somalia so that we have some experiences on deployments even, even with the ship. But primarily our capabilities are developed for our national defense purposes. But certainly if and when the new covert class vessels will be manufactured, they have also the blue water capability so that we can participate better. And does that also fall into line with, of course, then airlift capability? I imagine that, of course, you can rely on some of your European partners, or certainly you can go and charter, I guess, like anybody can, if, if you need those capabilities. Is that going to be something which uh, is is part of everything you do that, yeah, you'll be able to, of course, then uplift material longer haul faster than maybe you would before? Or, as you said, does the principle and and really the cornerstone of what you do really remain looking after Finland and taking on peacekeeping uh, roles or or patrol roles or uh, multilateral roles uh, when and where necessary? Of course, we are part of the Strategic Early C-17 consortium, what means that we have actually bought some flight hours. It was established already 15 years ago. So we have that capability that we own or share shared ownership uh, so that we have some flight hours. I I don't remember anymore how many, but enough so that we can can use that capability, C-17 capability, to deploy our troops and equipment, for example, into Afghanistan or into Africa if needed. And certainly there's a number of the European arrangements that will allow us to make use use of the other type of uh, air transportation capabilities as well and swap the flight hours. So that's... That's really pretty well in hand. Of course, we need tactical transportation capability. We have few casas. They can operate, if not worldwide, but European-wide well. But certainly the main, main emphasis on air capability are on air defense. When you think about challenges, and I guess one challenge, of course, is, is budget, and it's it's not uh, it's not limitless, and there's only so many things you can buy, even though you might have a considerable wish list. I want to maybe turn to to the attractiveness, of course, of being part of Finland's um, military uh, apparatus to to be part of the navy, to be part of the air force, to be part of the army. Is is it still seen as an attractive career choice? Is that a challenge today? When, of course, there are no shortage of of big tech companies that one might want to work for, does that make it more of a challenge for people to join your cyber warfare division? As much as also, I can go work for Audi, maybe rather than, of course, going and repairing tanks. Yeah, of course, it is a challenge for Finland, like any other nation in in Europe. But conscription is, is a very good element that provides a, a platform for us uh, so that the most of our, our young men and, and a, more and more women uh, go through the conscription and then they may find that the, uh, the military career is appealing. We haven't uh, had any huge, let me say, recruitment problems. Uh, of course, it has become a little bit more challenging, but still we can have a good quality in terms of uh, our officers and NCOs that we actually train. The second point is that the uh, professionals are, are just uh, a kind of the spares head or armed forces so that we rely on reservists and we don't speak about big numbers. We are all together in, in Finnish Defense Administration, we are between 12 and 13,000 
out of which some 60% are militaries. So that in terms of the amount, I mean, uh, we are still uh, still able to, let me say, deal with the challenges. But of course, if you go for these uh, uh, really uh, highly sophisticated cyber experts and high-tech experts, then the recruitment is a bit, bit challenged. But also there, we have found that our reservists can support us tremendously based on, on their voluntary contribution. So that it is still, let me say, in a good balance, but, uh, but certainly a, an issue we need to look very carefully in future. Does the private sector in Finland, maybe the private sector elsewhere in the world, countries that do and don't have conscription, is there a recognition of how important it is? And I'm taking this from a very positive perspective, because I can recall a time when I was employing people very early on, my business is primarily being in the magazine business. And of course, when you are in the magazine business, you have to deal with Finland because most of the paper is, is coming from Finnish trees. And when those magazines turn into a Finnish product, they, of course, they arrive in rather heavy boxes. And I could always remember there was this moment when the, the, the delivery truck would, would pull up, you know, sometime, this is maybe thinking early 90s. And we had a lot of colleagues, uh, some from Finland, some from Denmark, uh, some from Sweden, at a time, of course, when there was conscription in most places. And then we had many other colleagues from the States and Australia, Canada, Germany, etc., cetera, uh, where they didn't have conscription. And when you had to unload that truck, Lieutenant General, you could really see who had done national service and who didn't, because sometimes you would just say those who didn't do national service could stay at their desks. Everybody else who did national service, they knew how to unload a truck with extraordinary efficiency. Do we forget about the importance of cohesion, the social capital that conscription brings? It's not just about a call to arms, but you know, oftentimes you could argue that someone who's had military training is going to be a good manager, is going to be a good leader, does know how to organize people, and if nothing else, they know how to move boxes. Absolutely, you're right. I'm happy to hear what you what you said, my friend, on, on your experiences. But but certainly, social let me say dimension is very important for the whole society in Finland. And if ever you meet two Finns who have never met each other, you, I can guarantee that the first issue they start discussing is that where you have done your conscription. Even at my age, social dimension is is tremendously important. Really. For me, it's one of the fundaments of the conscription. It also contributes to the, let me say, in the way, internal stability here in, in Finland. So they are good citizens, actually, that have gone, gone through the conscription without making any discrimination uh, with those who have, haven't done it. But, but certainly the values we, we, we actually teach and educate in defense forces when the conscription is ongoing are supporting the state. And certainly one element which should not be forgotten, that also the, we provide the training for the reserve officers. Of course, you can argue for them back, but I think that it's really the, the, the leadership training these young men and women will receive will tremendously support also their, their, their professional life, regardless whether they, they work in the military or in civil sector. So that's one of the, the good things. And third element is that number of our leaders, almost all male leaders, have done their conscription so that they know actually when, when we start talking about, uh, let me say, military issues related to complicated budgetary requirements we may have, we get some, some understanding from the, uh, those who have done the conscription. It's interesting. I was talking to someone from the the Swiss defense establishment, and, and in many ways there are, there are quite a few similarities between uh, both Switzerland uh, and Finland. Non-aligned neutrality, 
currently they share the same type of, of fighter aircraft. There's some similarities in scale, of course, as conscription as well. But on the conscription point, it, it was interesting. Someone from Switzerland said, it's also been very important at a time when integration has been very difficult. Of course, when countries are welcoming in people from all over the world, that also conscription, it's a new type of leveler as well. It, it is a way of also really bringing people on board. You, you have a different understanding of the nation as well. You're standing behind a, a flag. There's a sense of belonging. Is that also a component in Finland too? Because I can imagine, you know, we see, if we look around the Nordic neighborhood, there are some countries that have been good at integration and some that have are less good, certainly as COVID times have revealed anyway. Of course, I mean, Finland and Switzerland are entirely different and I understand extremely well. I've been living in Switzerland and studying there for almost two years so I know a little bit about the Swiss internal politics as, as well. But the integration is has not been a big issue in the past in because we are pretty homogeneous in Finland. But since we have more and more uh, those who have come, you know, Asia, Africa, elsewhere from Europe, it also contributes to the integration of those people. And, and whenever I meet a conscript actually whose roots are not from Finland, I am always amazed how patriotic, how positive they are. They consider themselves the conscription as as a means to promote the integration. It's fascinating to hear. And maybe there's this sort of sense of patriotism because is there something a little bit peculiar when you think about Finnish troops on deployment beyond Finland's borders. And someone told me a very interesting story, and you're going to have to maybe fill me in a little bit. But let's say, even if you are in Afghanistan, that it's important that there's always a sauna. That sauna we know that sauna culture is, of course, essential to Finland. So this is one peculiarity, but is it also an essential? Is it almost like a no-go? You can't send Finnish troops anywhere unless they have their sauna tent accompanying them as well? That's part of the Finnish character or the very nature of the Finns, having these sonars uh, anywhere they go. I visited, when I was having my, my previous tour in European Union, a little bit more than one year ago, I went to Mogadishu in Somalia. <laughs> I got the sound certificate, so that I, I went to sauna. I, well, outside temperature was plus 50 and inside was plus, plus 80, so it was not a big difference. But the point that was important, that for the, the own cohesion point of view and reminding where they come from. The little Finnish contingency has, has built a tent sauna there, even there. That's that's fascinating, even for me. Tell me if I'm on a Finnish deployment, what, what are the other essentials? What has to be in, in the Finnish ration pack? Does there need to be, a, there's one type of chocolate that Fatser is also essential? Uh, is there something in, in the kit bag that also has to, uh, of course, remind uh, remind soldiers of home, aside from saunas? I would say that the sauna is the symbol of Finland for the Finnish soldiers. I'm not aware that there's a particular wood stuff actually they bring with them. Other than perhaps if you are from, from the north, you may actually have some uh, dried reindeer meat with you. I'm not quite sure, but if I was a peacekeeper and, and coming from Finland, I would like to take <laughs> that type of wood stuff with me. But certainly sauna is the, is, is the symbol. Sancho, just before we go, I'm just curious, maybe we started this interview by looking ahead and we, we could have ended that way, but we haven't really looked back very much over the past year. And we've seen different symbols uh, from all over Europe, or maybe let's say symbolic moments. We've, we've seen German aircraft, German Luftwaffe aircraft 
deployed to pick up COVID patients to bring them back to Germany for treatment. Uh, we've seen almost at an unprecedented level the mobilization of, of military forces, not just in Europe, but but all over the world over the past year because of the pandemic. What are the lessons that uh, that Finland um, has learned? And maybe just as a refresher, um, how much uh, was, was the military used or if, or if it at all in this past year? And, and maybe if, if that is the case, what have you learned in terms of what needs to happen, certainly within your own borders, when confronted by obviously a, a civil incident like this one? When the pandemic started last spring, actually, we had a quite a difficult situation in this Helsinki region. And the government decided to isolate the Helsinki and adjacent region from other other part of the Finland, and so that the kind of the freedom freedom of movement was limited. And then the Finnish soldiers provided support to civilian authorities, mainly to, to police. But uh, they were under the control of the police officers. Uh, it was not a huge undertaking, but and we need to be very careful in, in Finnish society how to use the, the military supporting these type of civilian functions. But it worked out pretty well, so that we are prepared to provide the support for the, for the civilian authorities. Perhaps one of the lessons that need to be learned is that we should perhaps broaden the scope of the support to civilian, not only to police, but but certainly perhaps to other authorities as well. As well, That is something that we are now considering and perhaps see that need to go for the change of our legislation. But, but certainly these type of lessons are, are now on the, on, the, on the process. And just before we go, we talked, of course, a little bit earlier about the procurement of new aircraft, uh, the replacement of, of the F-18s, potentially, obviously, a new type of Corvette. When do you see, is there a period... When all of these come online, are you working to a, a 2030, 2035 schedule uh, when you feel that all of these new pieces, all of the new requirements for a, mo- a modern battlefield are in place? Well, actually, they are never in place because you, you you need to always start from the from the beginning. So that, but now this decade is the period for the navy. So that we we have invested already, or they decided to invest one one point five billion uh, euros to replacement of the of all corvettes and then add on the 10 billion for the replacement of 18s and next decade will be the decade for the for the for the army so it's in the in the way is recycling and certainly what is the beauty in finland that we we have a support a broad support at the political political level that goes beyond, let me say, uh, the government cycle. So that we are currently preparing our white paper, white paper for defense, covering next ten years. And the, since the defense is very much consensus-based, we need to to get the support, strong support from the par- parliament. And I'm I'm happy to say that it goes without saying that we we'll, we will get enough resources to to maintain our capabilities and even develop them. Of course, challenges will apply from time to time and of course the COVID and, and the economic crisis may have an impact but it was tremendously important that our government our prime minister last fall when we were really deep in the in the COVID crisis government uh, under her leadership took a decision to provide the full financing for the replacement of 18 very well done from our, our prime minister. 
Uh, which I'm very happy to hear that uh, you did manage to mention that the army gets the spotlight on them next because they, they've sort of been a little bit left out. We've been talking about new fighters and, and new corvettes. So it, it just begs uh, the last question. Does a modern army, Lieutenant General, do they still need tanks uh, in, in this in this day and age or when it comes time for new procurement? Are we past tanks now when you think, when you mentioned agility and, and all of the other elements that are important to the Finnish forces? Well, it, it applies to an extent uh, for all of our capabilities we need some capabilities that are high-end or very powerful and I'm I'm a cavalry officer <laughs> by training so that I'm, I'm very supportive of us to us to maintain still the, the main battle tanks we we need them of course not a huge amount but we need because they are the army's high-end capabilities like artillery and some other capabilities as well so that I this time has not yet gone My thanks to General Asa Pulkinen for joining us for this week's episode of The Chiefs. Next week, we continue the Finnish theme to meet the man in charge of running Helsinki's affairs, Mayor Jan Vapuvori. This episode of The Chiefs was produced and researched by Paige Reynolds and edited by Steph Chungu with the assistance of Desiree Bendley. I'm Tyler Brule. Thanks very much for listening. (music) 